I still really know all my high school teachers. And reading what they have said about me in my book, because I had, you know, reached out to them and we talked some things. And it was like, you know, from very young, we knew you was always this. We always, and I look at some of the things I'm doing, it's because I'm caring. It's because I'm passionate. It's because I care about other people. So I think those characteristics started to develop at a younger age. All right, today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is Cardale Jones. Cardale has become a, a friend of mine, a friend of our families, and most people will know Cardale as the uh, former OSU national champion quarterback. But Cardale is a lot more than a football player. He's a lot more than just a champion. He's just a great guy. He's a really kind and caring guy, which you'll hear us talk about. He's also the co-founder and GM of The Foundation. The Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps OSU student athletes invest their name, image, and likeness. NIL, you hear a lot about NIL these days as it pertains to college sports, and Cardell is right in the center of all of that. And um, yeah, he's he's got his hands in a lot of things. He's he's still playing football. He's an investor. He's um, got an agency, and uh, yeah, keep himself busy with the foundation, and does a lot of work in the community. And he's got a great story. And like I said, he's just a great guy, a good friend, and somebody that I really enjoy talking to. And and I think you'll really enjoy this episode as well. All right. Well, we are here today with uh, my friend Cardale. It's great to have an opportunity to spend some time with you and have you share your journey with the audience. For sure, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me as a podcast that I saw and admire from afar. And it's kind of crazy. It's been over a year with you with this. And this is, I finally get a chance to be on with you. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We crazy. talked about it. And yeah, here we are. So, uh, you know, sometimes uh, that's how it goes, but uh, it all happens at the right time. Exactly. So exactly. Uh, let's start at the beginning. You know, I think people know you in Columbus and, and in the world of sports and, you know, around for what you've accomplished on the football field. But I don't know how much you've publicly talked about your path to it. And, you know, that's what we try to do here is really look at your full life journey. There's just so much to learn from other people and you don't often see everything that led to it. You know, you just see that, you know, kind so of the big, result. one shiny yeah, moment, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, tell me, you know, a little bit just from the very beginning, you know, what your early childhood was like, your family, your upbringing, et cetera. Great. This is going to be a, a great sneak peek of my book because, ah, nice. you know, I just uh, finished up a book that's going to be out and published and completed by the fall of this year that I'm really excited about. And then great. we got into some of this stuff and, you know, it, it brought up some old memories and wounds mm -hmm. that I didn't even know still was there. Mm -hmm. you know, so I love to do things like this and talk because you never know what your experiences you went through and how you got through those can help someone else yeah. potentially battle on the same issues, concerns, and just ups and downs. So exactly. um, just kind of a little bit from the beginning, from the east side, um, inner city Cleveland, grew up the youngest of six, single mom, and sports was kind of always an uh, outlet, for, not just for me, but for my siblings as well, my oldest my second oldest brother, he um, played football. I got a brother that's older than me, played basketball, football. Then my sisters are both athletic. And then me, you know, our mom tried to, 
you know, it wasn't as many positive things going on um, mm-hmm. in inner city Cleveland. And with my mom being a single mom and working all odd jobs from selling food out the house to braiding hair to cleaning homes to any and everything you can think of to make ends meet, to just provide a somewhat livable opportunity for six kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can only imagine she didn't want that stress of us falling into the trap of, of gang violence, us falling mm-hmm. into the trap of doing things that we probably shouldn't have been doing when she wasn't around. I can only imagine how stressed she was as a parent, mm-hmm. you know, now thinking about it, mm-hmm. in the summer mm-hmm. when we when she knew, you know, those eight hours or whatever hours she spent in school, we wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's out trying to make ends meet for us, trusting and believing that we're where we're supposed to be. Even if I'm at football practice, only two hours. Mm-hmm. You know, even I'm going from there to, you know, I went from baseball practice to football practice to flag football practice, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. four or five days out the week. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always something to give my mom, I would imagine, that peace of mind that, you know, we were somewhere doing something productive away from our environment, mm-hmm. you know, even though that stuff was still happening where we were, because, you know, I can walk to football practice and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. knowing I was doing something productive that can potentially, you know, help me develop life skills, right? Mm-hmm. Let me just hop in there for a second. So just to, uh, for clarity, so you you have how many siblings? I'm the youngest of six, so I have five siblings. Okay, so you have five siblings, and was your father around at all, even? At- no no clue who my father is. No clue who uh, your no father is. So okay. my four older siblings share the same father, mm-hmm. um, a guy named William Jones, who passed away, who um, was married to my mom before I came about, mm-hmm. and then divorced through whatever, but still was really close, and he lived right around the corner. But mm-hmm. even with that, you know, I don't recall my siblings. It just, it was when I was you know, young, I still mm-hmm. remember a lot of things. I don't recall my siblings having a really good relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And he lived mm-hmm. right around the corner. Mm-hmm. I don't recall him seeing him at, you know, mm-hmm. God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. I don't recall seeing him at many birthday parties mm-hmm. for my mm-hmm. siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us went to the same school. He's close in age, so mm-hmm. it was time where you know I was in you know first grade, my oldest sibling was probably in fifth grade. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, so seeing my siblings and things like that, mm-hmm. I don't recall him seeing them at school, yeah, events or things like that. So there was no so father really figure around out, outside of uncles and things like that. Okay, our uncles were amazing men that mm-hmm. had kids of their own. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandparents had you know fifteen kids. Mm-hmm. You know, all living in one household. My grandfather was a man's man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he raised. Um, great young men and, and women as well, with mm-hmm. the help of my grandmother, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always had a, a f- positive figure to look up to. I wouldn't say father figure as far as everyday style type, but I always knew I wanted to carry myself like my Uncle Dale or my Uncle Tony. Okay. You know, because they were, my Uncle Dale was a firefighter and I, I used to love, like, you know, it was, I grew up in the house, we lived in the house that my mom grew up in and all her siblings. And at one time, it was my mom and her six kids, my aunt and her four kids at the time, four uncles and my grandparents downstairs. Wow. In one household, right, in a four-bedroom house. So we all over the place. Yeah, and you were how old during that time? From birth to second grade. Okay. So uh, this was Interesting, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so it's fascinating to me because... You know, that's a lot. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of kids. And I asked the question about the father figure, you know, and you did in your household have uncle's grandfather, you know, even though your mom, single mom, there was, mm. you know, a number of adults in the household. Now there's yeah. a lot of kids. Too. Yeah, exactly. Up until that point, I want to say right around when I was in second grade, that summer going into third grade, um, my aunt was the first to move out with her kids. 
And then I want to say my uncles started my my uncle Dale. He was just beginning to become a firefighter. I remember always trying on his stuff, his big mm-hmm. helmet and things like that, and his stuff just bobbling. <laughs> That's and great. My uncle yeah. Tony was just going through a marriage with his his wife at the time. You know, freshly beginning to be married, so he moved out, and then it was my mom and us, and then um, my grandparents. And my grandparents moved, and like right around, like I said, going into the the third grade, we moved out the house as well. Yeah. To my understanding, I think we lost the house, I think, uh-huh. um, but we moved. So now is that critical time as a young person, right? I'm, I'm freaking eight years old, seven, yeah. eight years old, of really starting trying to figure out who I am. Yeah. Really started learning different things. First time really living on our own yeah. with all our other siblings, our cousins and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you miss unintentionally, you was, I was looking for that father figure role. Yeah. But I tell people all the time, I say, I don't say, hey, I was raised by a single mom as a crutch because, yeah. like, I had my mom and my dad and one person. My mom, my birth yeah. mom was such a strong, independent um, woman, you yeah. know? And, you know, I get into our relationship a little later, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I got lucky, yeah. you know, from some of the things that she taught us. She was very no-nonsense mm-hmm. when it came to a lot of different things. And like I said, she, I can only imagine her stress level of yeah. the summers where, you know, we she knew he wasn't in school yeah. and... Having that trust in us and knowing that we wasn't doing anything we wasn't supposed to be doing. Yeah. And just tell me while we're there, you know, we can get into it more later, but tell me a little bit about when you were that age, what your relationship was like with your mom. Like you can look back and see all those things now, right? You you probably didn't appreciate, you know, what she was doing at the time, but I'm, I'm wondering like, what was the relationship? Did you, you know, did you appreciate her at the time or was she sort of up your ass? And, you know, <laughs> I think, you know what? I think I appreciate her at the time for sure because I was the youngest. Yeah. You know, I got baby just a little bit. You know, uh-huh. I always <laughs> love that. People, oh, you look just like your mom. And, you know, people tell her, you, you know, you was unattachable from her when okay. you was younger and things yeah. like that. And then our relationship really didn't take a turn for the worse, honestly, until my sophomore year of high school when I when I officially became adopted. And just some things, and it's so crazy. I grew up in a household with five other siblings, and we're all so different. And, and, it, and it's mind-blowing to me still to this day how, mm. you know, we all saw the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. We all, at times, did not eat at night. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like our mom paid a favor. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, hey, only y'all two eating today. Or mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm a... I'm I ain't gonna kick y'all, but I'm gonna kick that. Like mm-hmm. we all got our, mm-hmm. our asses kicked. Mm-hmm. You know, we all went through the exact same experiences when it came to at home and in our community. I mean, we all hung together. All mm-hmm. our friends were the same people. Mm-hmm. We we all been shot at before. Mm-hmm. We all you know fought before, like and things like that. So it's so mind blowing. I know we started this by mm-hmm. saying you got into this to to tap into like the person mindset and how they and how and why they are where they are today. Mm-hmm. And it is so mind-blowing because I'm like, man, how or why I'm not like one of my siblings right now? No yeah. offense to them. Yeah, yeah. But our mindsets are so different. Yeah, it's fascinating. It really is because, you know, environmentally and you know, people talk about nature and nurture. Well, I mean, it was it was sort of all the same, right? Yeah. And, you know, my siblings and I are all very different too. And, you know, maybe we didn't have the same childhoods, but you see just in human nature, people mm-hmm. are wired or, I don't know, Something happens along the way that yeah. has you, you know, go a certain direction. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And then, um, you know, a, a guy named Ronnie Bryant, I played with his son, Christian Bryant at Ohio State. 
and he would give me this um, story, this analogy about just the mindset of people and, and the way you look at things, right? Um, it's as two, it was two dad, it was two kids, and they had a dad, and the dad was a drunk. One kid grew up to be successful, one kid grew up to be a drunk. Mm-hmm. And they asked the kid who was successful, why are you successful? Mm-hmm. He said, because my dad was a drunk. Mm-hmm. And they asked the kid who was a drunk, he said, why are you a drunk? He said, because my dad was a drunk. Right. So his, their perspectives, right? Right. One kid thought it was okay, one kid thought, I was like, I want better. Yeah. And I think that is a situation that I think I try to compare myself to with my other siblings. Mm-hmm. They're all doing well in their respective fields of life. They're all being productive members of society. They're going to work to their debt. Yeah. They have no choice mm-hmm. because of the decisions they make now or decisions they made before and decisions they make now. It's harder for them to see something different. Mm-hmm. And for me, I always knew it was something different. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this can't be life. Like, this can't be it. I, yeah. All I know is struggle. One day I got to get better. Mm-hmm. Because we grew up in a household where we didn't talk about stuff like this. We didn't talk about our feelings. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I heard my mom literally say I love you until maybe my second year of college. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, so. let me ask you something about that because it's, it's an interesting, uh, I'm curious about it. Not, not again. This is kind of part of the reason why I like to have these conversations because I'm curious about it just in general, like mm-hmm. for myself yeah. too, right? I'm actually reading this book right now called "The uh, Courage to Be Disliked," and it's a conversation between a philosopher and a what they call youth. You know, yeah. it's a young person. And the philosopher's whole point so far, I'm only you know a quarter of the way through the book, is that what happened to you doesn't really matter as much as uh, we think it does. You know, yeah. To your point about the drunk story with you know the dad, yeah. right? At some point, it's really a matter of what are you going to choose to do now? And I grapple with that a little bit because I think that like it definitely matters. Double edged sword, right? Okay. But then I I get that at some point you know you have to decide how much you're going to let it run your life. Exactly. And so for you, you know, I'm kind of curious about you know you, you you said that you know you saw that you wanted another life like you could you couldn't live like this the rest of your life right i forget your exact words but there was something motivating to you about having you know something else yes and and do you remember kind of like why you saw it that way or how or or what kind of like because you know somebody else is like well i'm just screwed I, you know yeah, exactly and, and the way i saw it, and i say this all the time i said i don't understand how i didn't grow up jealous mm-hmm. not just of my siblings but i have friends who have both uh, parents. Mm-hmm. I had friends who had one parent who was just as successful as the household with two parents, and they had a lot of things. Like, you know, you at those young ages, you, you know, kids are sometimes can be materialistic, so they had a washing machine and dryer. Mm-hmm. They they had clean clothes to wear every day, right? They had shoes, bearable shoes and things like that. And I thought, like, man, like, you know, it made me think, I remember thinking at a very young age, like, Dang, they they parents are lucky, mm-hmm. or they lucky to have parents like that. Not really understanding that every situation is different, right? I don't know what shaped my mom to be the type of person she was, or didn't have maybe some of the financial education or opportunities that other parents might have had to help provide better for their kids. And I just remember, I think I was about in the seventh grade, and we was getting ready for our first school dance. And what I would do with stuff like. Uh, everything we wore was hand-me-downs from our older siblings. And I remember <laughs> my brother is in the ninth grade. My old, my second oldest brother is in the ninth grade. He went to school called Collinwood. And they just had like homecoming or something like that, um, maybe like a week before. And I wanted to wear his outfit. 
Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the exact same thing. So I don't know what he was getting ready to do. He was getting ready to maybe go out with friends or something, but he was looking for the jacket to this outfit. And I remember like hiding those clothes so I can wear them <laughs> to the middle school dance I was going to. Mm-hmm. But remember putting on dirty clothes mm-hmm. for the most part and going to this thing and like being embarrassed because I didn't know they were like dirty. He might have mm-hmm. sweated. I'm starting to mm-hmm. smell it mm-hmm. as I'm walking like to the party. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, man, this can't be real. Like I know mm-hmm. they're not like working on a group friend. I'm like, I know he's not going through that. I know I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like he's the oldest. I'm like, he didn't steal his brother clothes. Like thinking mm-hmm. to myself, mm-hmm. like, dang, it must be nice not mm-hmm. to be able to do that mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I was mm-hmm. middle school really my that I can remember my first thought of like, man, it gotta be something better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? it's interesting. <laughs> you know, I I have uh I really relate to the whole like, you know, uh story about the the drunk Mm -hmm. because I had to make that choice with my dad that I didn't want to end up like him. And I, and for better or worse, you know, because I see how his life is ending um, still to this day, I have a constant reminder that I don't want to do that. Right. But, you know, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse, right? In, In some ways you can choose to look at it as like the most educational thing that you can ever get, right? That you have this embodied experience, you know, of wearing those clothes and having those thoughts and feelings and knowing you never want to live that way, right? right? But it's also like a really shitty feeling also, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I can vaguely remember too, just uh, walking and just being in my thoughts and and like literally whatever my thoughts, I ran right into a pole. Uh-huh. Walking to the, I ran right into a pole, uh-huh. split my nose wide open, and I started bleeding on the shirt. Yeah. And I remember, like, man, my brother's gonna kill me now. Yeah. Like, like, so much in my the head of thoughts, like, man, not necessarily. I can't remember if I was thinking about how do I make sure that I can have nice things or I don't live like this, or like, damn, this is really not normal. Like, yeah. hearing about them and like, like some new shoes that just came out, like uh. three or four of them had them on, and I'm, feelings I can't relate to. And I'm uh. just like, man, I would, I would die for that feeling. Yeah. And But I was never jealous of my friends, though. Mm-hmm. It was always, how do I get to you that You were point? inspired by I, it. Yeah, exactly, you used it. You used exactly, it, yeah. Exactly. Which is also something that I, I have, you know, talked about in the podcast and, and growing more and more, Firm in my beliefs, and and I'm actually writing a book too. It's it's way earlier on, but just the idea that we can use our lives and the experiences that we, uh, good and bad, yeah, right, to really serve us, and then consequently serve others. Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what I don't know in particular was that moment. I think I was more so fascinated and impressed with the with my friend's parents because mm-hmm. i will always say man I, if i'm in that position like i'll make mm-hmm. sure my kid don't see this mm-hmm. i'll make sure my kid wouldn't do this so it wasn't even the materialistic things mm-hmm. that i was impressed with or that's why i probably wasn't jealous i really wasn't impressed with the materialistic things that mm-hmm. they had it was the fact that they were being able to bid someone was able to provide them to them cared for exactly you know basic needs right and i think but it's a double-edged sword with that again because i still even though i i I physically didn't hear my mom say i love you until my sophomore year in college Mm -hmm. um when i make the dean's list and it was still i i never questioned her love for me Mm. or us because i knew the things she was doing 
Yeah, she didn't verbally mm-hmm. say it, but love was just, it was just implied. You could see it. You like, could feel yeah, it, yeah. Like, I guarantee you she don't want to be doing some of the things she's right, doing. Right, And, you know, if it's legal or illegal, right, you know, right, right. Um, to help provide for her family. It was never a case where child service had to come in because we she was being too unfit or being right, right, or right. things like that. Right. So I knew she loved us. Yeah. But sometimes like, that's just as important or maybe more, you know. Yeah. Sometimes people are like, I love you. They say it like they say hello and goodbye. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. But do you feel it, you exactly. know? Exactly, yeah. that's so funny because I think even, you know, back into that experience and then just the experience of being a, a young father is that I try to find, never had a father. I try to father off things that I would have want, yeah. how I wanted to be received. Or like, I go out the way to tell my kids I love them. Yeah. Oh, how much how I'm proud yeah. of them. Yeah. If it's anything, like, yeah. <laughs> oh my, like, you know, <laughs> laughing, you know, so laughing. I just, I finally found my son a PlayStation 5 after freaking two years. Yeah, yeah. Passing up birthdays and Christmas. Yeah. Finally found the PlayStation 5 for yeah. And, he, and, you know, he's six and he's got me something for Christmas and stuff like that. And it's a drawing. Uh-huh. In my head like this, this punk-ass drawing. That's what I get. You don't know what I did for this episode five. You know? Uh-huh. And I'm laughing so hard in my head, but I am I made him feel like king. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the best drawing I ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. This, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. This yeah. is good. Like, it's I good, yeah. like, I was like, man, how would I would have received that if my mom would have yeah. did that to me? You know? Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. I try to really yeah. parent of everything Almost, almost you know, the opposite of how I was sure, turned, honestly. Sure. Yeah, you want to you know? give your kids everything that you would have liked to have had. Exactly. Yeah. From from material things, you know, when deserved or, you know, you mm-hmm. try to make them feel valued a dollar to just emotional support. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that did not exist in our household. Mm-hmm. You know, material things were a given. I mean, mm-hmm. that was money. We was broke. Mm-hmm. But the emotional support, mm-hmm. not a chance. Mm-hmm. You... Like, mm-hmm. I guarantee you, not knowing the feeling I was feeling, but I couldn't talk to my mom or mm-hmm. my brothers or mm-hmm. sisters about my day or mm-hmm. I like a girl and she might mm-hmm. like someone else mm-hmm. or I'm sad. I'm like, mm-hmm. sad? But shit, we got bigger problems. We might not eat tonight. Right, right, right. You know, so a lot right. of that stuff was on the back burner. Yeah. Yeah, and that's hard because, you know, those are things that, you know, really um, are very real and, you know, need to be addressed at some point, you know, yeah, at exactly. least, right? exactly. Okay, let, let me back up. You said something, I think, you know, maybe around eight or, or somewhere around there that you were starting to kind of like have to figure out like who you are mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that's, I think, still very young, you know, I, I think, you know, I felt like that to some degree too, where we're just growing up a little fast, you know, whatever, but who were you? How did you start to notice? Oh my God. You know, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about the, the sports thing. Was that sort of just like a given or, or did you kind of internally feel like this is maybe who I am, what I want to do? Tell me about that. I think it was a given because of, I had to do something after school. I had to do something to make sure I wasn't in the streets. So mm-hmm. I wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't play a predominantly like, a, I didn't play quarterback growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I played offensive line and basketball, mm-hmm. just sitting there like, you know, I didn't play and I wasn't that great of a player mm-hmm. until I really started putting the time, effort, and energy into it when I got to high school. But far as when I say who I am, I, Outside of sports, because I was just going through the motions in sports at that age. Mm-hmm. I just know I had to be there. You know, I didn't like freaking being in the cold and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I hated it all. But I think as far as my character, I think some of the ways that I 
show emotion. I think, you know, the loving aspect, the, the caring aspect, um, the joyfulness aspect, always smiling. And then, you know, I still have a teacher that I'm extremely close with from my second grade. And always, um, I have a teacher I'm close with from uh, sixth grade when I was in middle school. And then I still really know all my high school teachers. And reading what they have said about me in my book, because I, you know, reached out to them mm-hmm. and we talked some things. And it was like, you know, from very young, we knew you was always this. We always, and I look at some of the things I'm doing, mm-hmm. it's because I'm caring. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm mm-hmm. passionate. Mm-hmm. It's because I care about other people. Mm-hmm. So I think those characteristics started to develop at a younger age. You, you started then. to, you know, it's it's always nice to hear, you know, people that knew you then yeah. talk about what they saw in you. Exactly. Were people, were those teachers or other people recognizing that at that time too? Yes, that's what yeah. I'm saying. So yeah. like they're speaking on me of those, how I was at okay. those uh-huh. times. It's like, yeah, you still looked at me. The only thing that looked different was you got a beard. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Well, I guess what so, I meant is, is it, did they tell you that then? Yes. And, they, and, yes. and so you did start to identify I did. as I am caring. I am, yes, yeah. Yes. I can remember from, you know, early on in, in elementary school where I, I would help you know, we had kids that was in the school with special needs. I would help yeah. them with their lunch. Uh-huh. I would help them. We had one that have, I don't know the correct term, but the, one of his arms was a little deformed uh-huh. and stuff like that. So he couldn't physically hold two yeah. things like this. Mm-hmm. So I would always make sure I got their lunch for them. What you mm-hmm. want? You want this? Or mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. like that. Or spend extra time with people. Interesting. I was always good at math. Uh-huh. I would spend extra time with people after class uh-huh. or at lunch. Hey, just bring your math problems and lunch. Let's uh-huh. do them together. Uh-huh. Like, and, and things that is, like that. Yeah, that, that's just who you were. You, exactly. You liked deep down to, to help other people. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Interesting, exactly. yeah. And yeah. I look at some of the things that yeah. I do now, yeah. which is pretty much the same thing. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. find ways to try to help people right. and, and connect people. But, yeah, and, and other things, like, that's showing, like, more characteristic things other than athletic. Athletics really didn't become a part of who I was, even though I played it at that age until yeah. really high school. Okay. And understanding what it can potentially lead to for me. Uh-huh. Not Ohio State in particular, but different things, different opportunities to see different things in life. Okay. So tell me about that. So... Because it's funny to think that, you know, you didn't even see yourself as that athletic or no, that good. not at all. Right? And then, you know, it's the hard work that, you know, ends up bringing the talent out. But how did you connect those dots? You know, what, was, what were the dots that you were connecting that you were seeing what for yourself if you worked hard at athletics? It was something, just something different from what I was seeing. It wasn't Ohio State. Uh-huh. It wasn't a national championship. It wasn't yeah. at a high level. Yeah, I care. Everybody, oh, I'm playing NFL. Like, you don't know what that yeah. means. Because like you don't know, you have no clue what that means. Yeah, the education, the hard work. Yeah. you know, I have a nephew who's going through that process now. And in high school, he's getting recruited by some big universities, and he's as aspiration playing NFL. But I see certain things in him now that you said I'm like, no clue. You you have no clue what that means. Mm-hmm. You're not ready for that. Don't even. Let's not even talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Were you so, thinking that you wanted to go to college? I think I wanted to go to college. You wanted yes, to go to I college. I wanted to go to yeah. college because I wasn't even going to play high school football. My especially my freshman year, I was going to mm-hmm. play little league again. And I remember all of my buddies. So we finished our little league season. Past mm-hmm. two years, we win like 22 games. We go undefeated, city champions, and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And everybody's dreams were always to go play for Glenville, right, our mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. And I had another year of little league. All of us actually had another year literally because of our age if we wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And I played lineman all my life. Still was. I started to become decent towards that, you know, seventh, eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever, it's fun. But I was—I knew I wasn't going to play lineman in, co- in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, no way. Mm-hmm. I was too lazy to be a receiver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to run hard if I know I ain't getting the ball every play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and uh, all the other stuff I ain't got time for. I'm just mm-hmm. like, no, nah, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. So I wanted 
my little league coach always, for some reason, sought out for me to be a quarterback. He saw me play baseball. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Baseball is actually my favorite sport. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you're going to be my quarterback if you come back next year. I'm like, okay, cool. I come back, play quarterback. I see our quarterback get all the shine. You know, I'm going to win MVP in this league. Like, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to be the man for the first time in sports. I'm going to be the man, right? Mm -hmm. And, man, my buddies used to be on my butt because as we're getting ready to train that summer of going from the eighth grade to the ninth grade, you training for your high school. I was walking past Glenville and going to the field behind it, practicing with our little league team. Mm -hmm. And our buddies, my buddies just let me have it. And it took my uncle Tony, who I really looked up to, he probably two or four years in the military at this point mm -hmm. in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And he's finished up his 20th year this April. So congrats to him. Mm -hmm. He was on a recruiting trip, recruiting some kids and recruiting some people around Cleveland. And saw Glenville was practicing, thought I was going to be up there. Came around the corner, I lived right around the corner from me. Came around the corner on, on the street parkway, came and got me, put me in a van with his other recruits, these random people, brought me up there, introduced me to Coach Gann. You know, I, she's like, go mm -hmm. get in line, practice with these guys, just see something, blah, blah, blah. And this is still conditioning and working out, stuff like that. And kind of loved it, man. I loved it, mm. being around those guys. And then, um, you know, I was just like, I, I don't play quarterback. I'm like, I never played it. I was going to go play a year down there. Mm -hmm. I was really going to stick to basketball and track in, in high school. I mm -hmm. wasn't going to play football because mm -hmm. I didn't know what I'd play. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. through that process, man, I started understanding the game more as far as as a quarterback and loved it and it kind of made that commitment to that position. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it didn't really take long for me to understand how hard it really was until my second game of the year, we played St. Ignatius, and I got hammered. I was mm. killed. What what year was that in your high school? 2007. Which is your freshman your year. Freshman year. So, freshman year. So you make the transition pretty fast to mm -hmm. playing quarterback. Yeah. Coach Ginn saw you as a quarterback, even yeah. without the experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you hop right in and you're playing quarterback. Yeah. I yeah. was always able to process information fast. Yeah. You know, to a certain extent. I was really going to ask you about that because... You know, you talked about being good at math and it's obvious, you know, Dean's List, it's obvious that you're intelligent. And I was curious, I mean, I've always just assumed like quarterbacks in particular have to really be smart. Yeah. You, know, you got to, I mean, and people talk about like football knowledge, but like there's a lot of quarterback stuff happen fast. It's you know? so different. Yeah. It's so different. We watch NFL play, especially on that level or college. Mm -hmm. College is a little different, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but NFL, you know, we don't realize these guys are making these decisions in less than two seconds. Yeah. Not you got to look decisions. at something. Yeah, not and, just the decisions. The ball is out and caught in less than two and a half seconds. The decisions yeah. made and the ball is out less than two seconds or yeah. or you probably broken up. Right, right. <laughs> so I was able to process our playbook a little faster than our other quarterback. Uh -huh. We knew it was going to be the quarterback. This guy named Malik. Um, Nelson, his brother, and I knew he was going to be quarterback. Everybody knew Malik was going to be the quarterback. Mm -hmm. His brother, Arvell Nelson, played quarterback two, three years ago before he got to high school, before we got to high school, and he was at Iowa at the time. Mm -hmm. And we was like, okay, whatever. I just go through the motions and then actually started to do really good. Mm -hmm. So I started to take a little more serious. And then, like I said, second game of the season, we played Senate Nations. And now, you know, Senate Nations is a top high school program. They're doing a little bit more advanced, especially at the freshman level. A lot of those guys been in that system, not the school, but that system since mm -hmm. they were in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So they're doing a little bit more complicated things on defense that I was nowhere near ready mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. and, and we end up losing that game, I'm going to say because of me, because I held the ball so long in so many different situations because mm – -hmm. The pitcher was changing like this. A lot of things that was happening. I'm still very new to this position. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember Coach Tone bringing me into his office after the game, and he just ripped me, mm. right? And not necessarily on a bad performance, on just, like, not preparing. Mm -hmm. You know, he gave me all this information about this team, and he could tell, you can tell when the quarterback's not prepared, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Jeez, I just wasn't prepared. I'm thinking, like, it was a, our first game, he had success. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's easy. I got mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I really didn't understand the importance until that in particular moment mm -hmm. and goes back to your point where we can learn from you know our own lives our own mistakes and mm -hmm. usually we learn it from ourselves when it's come from failures or mistakes yeah you right? could have told yourself i'm not good at this you know i'm i gotta go back to basketball baseball, uh, yeah, exactly. whatever right <laughs> you know i'm not cut out for this or oh i need to prepare more exactly right exactly and, and i think it goes back to what you said earlier i think yeah. it was before we jumped on of you know having an ability you know i think is a very unique ability to really self-reflect yeah. And everybody don't have that. Right. Everybody, I mean, you look at some people who have failures, especially in sports. Yeah. You know, it happens more often in sports than, than, than I can remember any other situation yeah. where they're pointing the finger. Yeah. And blame well, someone else. It, it takes some humility. It, it, yeah. You know, you've got to be willing to look in the mirror. And some people mm -hmm. just don't want to do that because, because, you know, sometimes you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and, it's, and, and that's it's not a, fun. It's but not fun. It's 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 better to, you know, that's that's how you grow. Yeah, especially when, you know, you have to look in the mirror. When you know, because I, I had to do this. Mm -hmm. When you look in the mirror and you know that you're not as good or as prepared or as pretty much good as everybody Think of you. Mm -hmm. That's the worst part. I think that's the hardest time to look in the mirror because maybe you are up there on cloud nine, mm -hmm. but you know deep down because you don't know one really knows that you could be doing so much more. Mm -hmm. And you're so scared to look in the mirror to self reflect because you already have success. Yeah, you already have this. This is what they said about you. This is the right. outcomes I'm getting. Yeah. But you're like, man, I'm not even doing nearly as much as work as this guy. Yeah, or I'm not even doing half of the work I know I should be doing. Yeah. That's the toughest part. Sure. And I, I dealt with that at the highest of the highest of my athletic career. Yeah. You know, and I had to really look in the mirror and was like, man, it could I could be doing a lot more. And I'm I'm like, I'm fooling everybody else, but yeah. I can fool myself. Yeah, yeah. That, and you know, you when you're in that spot, you know like eventually they're gonna figure it out. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and that's the, and that was with me, that's the scary part of me. My my biggest fear is failure. Yeah. Uh, letting the people down that I know who count on me. So if it's my teammates yeah. in the athletic environment, if I'm in the corporate America world, if it's people under me or beside of me, and clearly my family, yeah. the people I got to provide for. Yeah. It's my biggest fear is the knowing that they count on me and I'm not doing everything in my power to make sure that, you know, there's only certain points of, there's only certain factors that you can control in, in each and every scenario, right? Yeah. But I want to be able to control as many as possible to put myself as close as possible to the outcome I want yeah. in any situation. Yeah, yeah. You know. Okay, so you you learn those lessons and you obviously start to have success at the high school level. At what point is it clear to you that either Ohio State's calling or others are calling and, and you're going to college and now you've got, you know, decisions to make. Tell me a little bit about kind of how that yeah. unfolded for so you. So that happened going into my junior year. So junior finished year. up my sophomore year. Played a few games on varsity as a backup and things like that. And especially after the first few games of my junior year, 
where I started to get highly recruited, mm-hmm. you know, and all these rankings started to come out and all these news articles. Now I'm getting, you know, I'm just like, whoa, 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 like what's going on? People think I'm so great. And that's where the first moment happened where I had to go look in the mirror mm-hmm. of I'm getting all these accolades. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not doing as much as I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So my junior year, a guy named Scott Nowitzki, who is the principal at Perry High School up in Cleveland, up north of Lake Geneva. Mm-hmm. Now, um, he was my quarterback coach for a year. And he really pushed me to try to be greater than what I was. You know, I was kind of falling into the trap of everyone around us as far as our community, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Kissing our butts mm-hmm. and saying how great we were going to be because up until that point, me and my buddies have all played together since we were like six years old. Mm-hmm. Now we all on varsity. Mm-hmm. Now they're like, this is the year Glenn was finally going to win a championship. All these guys are killing it. All these guys know each other. All mm-hmm. these guys got the chemistry. They hang. Like, this is the year. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you start to believe some of that. Sure. Oh, they already said this is the year. I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is, I should just continue to do what I do to get here, mm-hmm. right? Which was nowhere near amount of work, time, effort, energy, and the sacrifices that I should have been making to get to that point. So I think that happened for me, I want to say the First game of the season, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played St. Ignatius, not on varsity, mm-hmm. and uh, we lose by one point. But going into that game, I, I did feel like I was prepared, but I could have been better prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, going into that game, did not play well. We lose by one point. And, you know, Scott pulled me aside, not in front of everybody. He's like, man, you could be doing so much more. Mm-hmm. And those simple words hit me like a freight train. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, he is so right. And I knew I could have been doing more, but he saw it. I know everybody else did. Mm-hmm. And that was my thing. I'm like, I feel like I let everybody down. Mm-hmm. So I became a maniac when it came to trying to do everything in my power to make sure I perform at a high level. If it's, I changed my diet, mm-hmm. freaking stayed extra at the practice, which we always did that, mm-hmm. but just did everything. I was so scared that I wasn't doing enough that I was almost prepared to burn myself out. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Mm-hmm. I became a maniac with that stuff. So that was my first real moment where I looked in the mirror, just like, you know what? It's me. Yeah. You know, something has to give. Mm-hmm. And if it don't, we're going to continue to get these results. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was pretty much um, my junior year of high school. And then we finished the year, made it all to the state championship, but we lost, you mm-hmm. know, to Hilliard Davis and the Columbus team. Mm-hmm. Another heartbreaker. <laughs> but I tell people all the time, like, mm-hmm. that's the best game I ever played. Mm-hmm. And we lost. Okay. And that was another one of those moments where, I think my sportsmanship leadership took another step in the right mm-hmm. direction because, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it, personally, there's nothing more I could have done. Yeah, you learned a lot. Game. You're yeah. learning, you're learning, and you're doing your best. And Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay, so who's recruiting you then? You get to your senior year. <laughs> yeah. who, who is it that, you know, is really in your ear? And, you know, why do you decide to come to Ohio State? Uh, so I was highly recruited. I had offers from all around the country. Um, it really boiled down to Ohio State, LSU, and um, Penn State, mm-hmm. Paterno, I really fell in love with him. I love with Jay, not, um, not Joe. Um, uh-huh. It was cool to meet Joe, but, you know, he was pretty much a face at that point, mm-hmm. you know, last probably 10 years there. And I love the relationship we built. Um, Nick Siciano, I think it was his last name, was the quarterback coach here mm-hmm. at Ohio State. Love the relationship we built and love the things that he did with um, TP at the time, Troy, and a few mm-hmm. other guys before him. Mm-hmm. Um, then clearly Coach Trussell. Mm-hmm. And then LSU, it was uh, Les Miles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they were just bringing in a, a, like an unbelievable class. You mm-hmm. know, I played an All-American game with Odell Beckham. and I mean, mm-hmm. Jarvis Landry, and but mm-hmm. I, I was on the visits with Odell Beckham mm-hmm. and those guys. And, you know, we were like, man, we could we all come here. We'd kill it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So Ohio State really took the cake for me when – 
you know, Coach Trestle, you know, I, I think I met Coach Trestle twice through the recruiting process. It was always Tabor Johnson. He recruited Northeast Ohio. But when I was here, clearly I spent more time with Nick, you know, through recruiting trips. And when Coach Trestle came up and just really, you just felt his passion. Mm-hmm. You just felt his eagerness about just developing you as a person, mm-hmm. which no one really talked about. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, that went back to some of the things that I saw betterment for myself mm-hmm. earlier on in my life. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was never about sports for me. Mm-hmm. Now this guy is talking about the things that I really hungered for mm-hmm. of who I am. Like, how do you elevate me? How do you get me mm-hmm. to the next level of me, not just me to the next level of college or NFL? Mm-hmm. You know, I was always that type of person to, like, because like I said, from the very beginning of those thoughts and conversations with myself, I didn't think I was that good in sports, so that was a back burner. Mm-hmm. How do I get to this, right? I know I'm going to have some way, somehow, how do I maximize the opportunity? How do I grab the opportunity when, it's, when it presents itself? Mm-hmm. And I always figured it would be through, you know, the me, and not mm-hmm. knowing me meant character, not knowing me being the traits that you, you know, mm-hmm. that you have as an individual. And, and that's what Coach Trussell talked about, mm-hmm. is stressed. And you ended up having how many years with Tress? Zero. Yeah, so he left. He recruited so he re- you, and then he, he was gone. Yeah. Yeah, so okay, that's what I thought, yeah. The unique thing about through college and then my whole, I want to say, second half of my high school career and life through college was so unique because I became I got adopted in my 10th grade year. Me and my mom relationship really went to shit just because, you know, I started to be recruiting in ball, you know, in newspapers and things like that. And then, uh, you know, up until then, my mom probably been to one Little League game, mm-hmm. one game mm-hmm. in my, like, whole football career, you know, and, and whatever, due to whatever reasons, busy or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But I noticed a significant change in her attention to me when I got more attention. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't like the feeling. Coach Ginn and Coach Ronnie Bryan at Glenville introduced me to my mom, Michelle Now, who I call my mom. Mm-hmm. And she was just recently, her grandfather recently just passed away that she care took for mm-hmm. his last X amount of years. And she also had a home daycare. So she was the ultimate caretaker. Mm-hmm. She was just a loving, supportive person. And she reached out to Ronnie, basically said, hey, if there's any kids down there that need, you know, mentorship guidance or how I can help to support them, let me know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was still walking to school and hand me down clothes. I, I would wear flip-flops with the front parts cut out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in high school at this point doing this stuff. So I'm in high school, I'm wearing a white shirt. Boom, next day I'm fl- turning it backwards. Boom, mm-hmm. next day flipping it inside out. Boom, mm-hmm. next day turning it backwards, flipping it inside out. Like, I'm still poor as shit, mm-hmm. you know. So some of the things that he saw that I lacked, if it was um, outside of just football equipment or proper stuff, you know, he introduced me to her. And at that point, I started to develop that mindset or that feeling of people, especially adults, was coming around me now for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. uh, because I started to get a little success in the football field mm-hmm. and things like that. And I just didn't want that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I thought that relationship was going to turn out for me to be. Mm-hmm. So intentionally, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this. Let me use this person like they're trying to use me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, right? So I went into our relationship with bad intentions, mm-hmm. right? Of like, okay. You know, first thing she do, she picked me up. He introduced us. She picked me up right after practice. We hanging out, getting to know each other. We go to Subway. And the first time I've ever been to Subway or a fast food place. Mm-hmm. I never had McDonald's to that point, maybe once or twice, mm-hmm. but 
I didn't know how to order freaking sub. I don't know how to make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. I make a sandwich at home with bologna and lettuce and, mm-hmm. and um, eating that thing. Mm-hmm. So they got all these different meats. I'm like, what's that? What's, I'm like, I'm in heaven, mm-hmm. right? So she takes me to Subway and then like, I can get something to drink too. <laughs> oh my God, I'm mm-hmm. living. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just like, oh, I'm about to freaking run this lady to the mm-hmm. ground. She don't know what she doing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the immature, mm-hmm. so sheltered and blocked off mindset because mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't want to be used again. Mm-hmm. I don't want to want to be popping it out of my life. Mm-hmm. So that happens for about a week or so. And then she takes me to her house. She lived kind of right in the suburb, city called Euclid, right outside of Cleveland. We hang out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm watching, this is the first time I'm watching cable TV. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm living here. Like, dude, people ain't gonna believe this. I just mm-hmm. hit the jackpot. Mm-hmm. So every night she would take me home and try to wait around and see my mom to introduce Herself and my mom, like, hey, this I had your kid all day or after practice. Mm-hmm. And my mom, and she's like, Where's mom? I'm like, she around here somewhere or I don't know. Like, I see her when I see her, or mm-hmm. I don't I think she got a cell phone. I don't know her number. I don't have a phone. Mm-hmm. So um that went on for about a month. You know, I would she would pick me up after practice. We would, we'd go hang out. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, she would wait 40, 50 minutes outside of our place to meet my mom, hopefully run into her. And it happened. Then I remember our relationship started. I really started to feel like this person loved me. Mm-hmm. And this person really had my best interest at heart. And then that's when it really turned to a mother style mm-hmm. thing, probably about two, three months mm-hmm. within that, where I kind of shifted my mindset. Like, mm-hmm. no, this lady really wants the best for me. Right. And I slowly and surely started to move to her house, mm-hmm. you know? So each week, uh, each day, I would take more and more of my clothes to school with me because I knew I was going to her house after mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't notice I was gone mm-hmm. until this was going on the whole summer. My birthday September 29th. This She didn't know. And we played on my birthday this year, mm-hmm. which was amazing. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. She didn't know that I was gone up until like a week after my birthday because Michelle came to our game. Our game was at Glenville. Glenville is literally, I can walk from Glen. I could throw a rock from, I legit... Probably can throw the football from right outside the stadium to the house I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So it's right there. My mom never it's right there game. for you. You, know, you, got, you got a big <laughs> arm, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my mom pretty much, that's the thing. My mom never really came to games. Mm-hmm. How she found out about Michelle is that Michelle was at the game in our neighborhood with a shirt that she had made saying happy birthday, something. Mm-hmm. But you know, our neighborhood's close, tight neighborhood. They don't recognize her. Like, who is that lady? Got a shirt with like Cardell on. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on? It got back to my mom. Mm-hmm. And I was just so happened to be in our neighborhood, you know, maybe after the game or something like that, and a week or so later, and she heard about it. She said, who was that lady, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's Michelle. I've been trying to get you in contact with her for like the last three, four months mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. So that really started the downfall of our relationship mm-hmm. because she felt as if Michelle was coming in and taking credit for mm-hmm. me and all this other mm-hmm. stuff, which was never the case. Yeah. You know, never the case. And it sucks because our relationship still sucks. It does. I was going to ask you kind of how that's evolved over time. Oh, my God. Yeah, it just it's, continued to. Yeah, yeah, it can continue. And then, you know, I, I tell my mom this, you know, and, you know, we still yet to have a conversation, effective conversation about how everything went down. Mm. Um, but I know I expressed to her, I feel like, you know, I was only important to her and some other people when, you know, my name was on TV. Mm-hmm. And Michelle didn't show that. Mm-hmm. And what I I think what really, really started to take the turn for me and Michelle relationship that really became vulnerable to her was that off season where, okay, no more ball. Okay, so I'm not in the media right now. And she still 
showed that she loved me and mm-hmm. cared and still did the things she was doing. I, I literally thought I was going to have to move out in off season because mm-hmm. I ain't playing football no more. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that. It's an interesting thing, Cardell. I'm not, you know, I'm just relating to you. I'm not trying to no, you know, make this sure. about me. But, you know, as you know, because you know my family so well, you know, Gary was really that for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so Gary really was my uh, father in, in practice, right? Yep. Like biologically, no, but... He's the one that showed me, you know, all that I needed to learn in a positive way. You know, yeah. my, my, my actual father showed me, you know, what I didn't want to be. Gary showed me, you know, this is what it looks like to, to be a good dad. And, um, and I can see maybe how my father might have been jealous or envious or mm-hmm. critical or whatever, right? Because yeah. really there's something there that, that, you know, Gary now had. He wanted yeah. Um, even if he didn't know how to show it when yeah. he had the opportunity. And so I, I only say that to you because what's happened for me over time, and it's taken a lot of time. I mean, I went probably 10 plus years not talking to my father. And I kind of feel like I got a little forced into this spot um, today because nobody else was really there to do it. You know, he needs, you know, certain care and uh, support and Nobody else was really there to do it. So I sort of assumed that role. But yeah. in doing that, I have grown to actually really understand him and why it was the way it was for him and um, what happened mm-hmm. and kind of let go of any shit that I had around um, what he didn't do or what he could have done or what he did do that you know, he shouldn't have done and just kind of see it for what it is. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it has been fairly healing for me. And I wonder if at some point, maybe there would be an opportunity for you and and your mother to see each other's, you know, way and still have some kind of relationship. I don't know. And maybe that's none of my business, but. No, yeah, you you make a good point because I I think about it sometimes and I try not to get like, you know, bummed out or choked up or emotional about it because I'm like, I know I've done everything in my power to try yeah. to make it work. Yeah. And I was like, why is it not working? And then I think what I really one day hope she understands is that, you know, Michelle was only there to try to help her, yeah. you know, for any way she could have. And I think as a kid, when I started to kind of understand feelings, I started to try to be like, I'm understanding feelings all so late in the game mm-hmm. of just trying to express feelings. You know, mm-hmm. and things like that. And I think what really hurt me the most about the whole situation, not some of the things she was saying, oh my God, some of the awful things she would say, some of the things she would do, was it was so easy if she really wanted me back in the household to mm-hmm. have me back. Mm-hmm. I was never legally adopted. Mm-hmm. I just started living with Michelle. Mm-hmm. She could have easily called now my kid living with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And Michelle probably would have went to jail for a night or so. And I would have been back at home. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when... So it got to a point yeah. where it's like, well, does she really want me? Or is yeah. it really for the status of things that I can potentially shed light for her mm-hmm. of the football success? Yeah. Right? So it actually had me resent football for a while. Mm. So it's so many things that... Yeah, and it's yeah. complicated, I believe. For me. sure. You know, you can no, do everything sure. possible on your end and, you know, there might not be an opening on her end and it is exactly. what it is. Exactly. And that's where I'm at now and yeah. even to this day with her. And, you know, and this is clearly, you know... A little bit off topic, but now even with today, it's just like, you know, the random time she would call me like, you know, or, or text mm-hmm. me like, hey, why didn't you tell me when you was in town? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you bring the kids over to see when you was in town? I'm just thinking like, 
because we don't have that relationship. Right. I don't think like that with her. I don't. Yeah. And you know, there, there is actually something to be said for kind of standing in your truth and not feeling, you know, a, a family enmeshment obligation or something exactly. that That's has you thing. like, well, you know, I have to do this right. because I'm in town. Like exactly. you, you know, you don't have to. Exactly. So you're 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 a big boy now. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. You know? And like that's vice versa with Michelle. That's where like I'm like you know we text each other all day or just random stupid stuff. When I see my mom texting me or call. Mm-hmm. Like what is it now? Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, mm-hmm. she's just calling to check up on me, but we right. don't have that relationship to to yeah. Like that's not the norm. I'm just yeah. like, what happened? I'm, I'm, yeah. something, my siblings okay? Like we don't have that relationship. Yeah. Say so I'll just see what she was up to. Oh, look at this funny meme. Like yeah. we don't have that. Yeah. And it's it, it sucks. I'm not gonna lie. But, yeah. You know, like I said, I I personally do feel like. I've done everything in my power. And that's all you can to, do. Yeah. So. That's all you can do. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And I uh, understand, you know, that can be that can be tough. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, that's all you can do yeah. is do your best. Okay. So you uh, you come to Ohio State. You've recruited by Trask. He's yeah. telling you, you know, all the things that, that you know, are, are meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. You make that decision. You get there. And, and Trask is gone. Boom, going yeah. overnight. I'm just like, what just happened? Yeah. So the way that actually happened that unfolded, so me and Braxton Miller uh-huh. were the same class in high school. We played against each other in high school, and I keep running up, and I, I, we destroyed him in high school. <laughs> went down there, hammered him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He went into college early that spring semester, and it was the same class. So I was going to come in in June. So one thing about Trestle, and you know this, Trestle loved his Ohio guys. Mm-hmm. He wanted to keep as many Ohio guys as possible. If... He can bring them all to Ohio State, he would have done it. Mm-hmm. You know, good, better, and different. He would have done it. And he knew, he felt like, hey, okay, we got two guys in the same class. If one BD them out, uh, someone's going to transfer. He did not want transfers to happen, mm-hmm. right? And um, with Braxton already getting a jump on me, clearly he had the jump of six mm-hmm. months of college ball, spring ball, things like that. So they came up with a plan for me to send me to prep school. Mm-hmm. I had no idea prep school was military school. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a Juco. It was to gray shirt me so I wasn't losing your eligibility. Mm-hmm. But it separated me and Braxton Miller. So mm-hmm. it reclassed me into the following year. Mm-hmm. So out of high school, you know, June happened. Everybody reported to college. I went into prep school in September, that mm-hmm. fall. While all that's going on, that whole offseason before that season started, that's when the trust stuff comes out. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking into the situation of so much uncertainty mm-hmm. when what what prep school was on top of now my mm-hmm. coaches is going to be going. Mm-hmm. Well, it just happened with Coach Trussell at first. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, cool. Nick is still there, my mm-hmm. quarterback coach. You know, I know Luke. Luke mm-hmm. was the intern head coach. Mm-hmm. And I figured, you know, they're telling me, hey, if you do good, he'd, be mm-hmm. the, he'd probably be the head guy. Mm-hmm. Keep all his guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Ohio State, that's still mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. my school. It sucks that Trussell won't be there. We get to about November. I'm in prep school. You know, we play a season of ball through there too. I'm also in prep school roommates with Michael Thomas, mm, you know. Mm-hmm. So we go through that. And then in, in November, I want to say, the rumors come out about Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. about him being the guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Urban Meyer, I'm like, the Florida guy? Like the, the, <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't run offense like that. Yeah, like, I'm no. not no running quarterback. Like, right. I mean, he had Tebow was the first right. quarterback go 2020. What, 20 right. rushing touchdown, 20. Yeah. I, I mean, that's great, but that's not me, though. That's yeah. not my style, you know. So they make it official. Urban's the guy. I think I got, like, two weeks left of prep school, and my recruiting is still open. Mm-hmm. So, like, seven of the millions of scholarships I had, they still would honor my scholarship for the following class. Mm-hmm. LSU was one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. So even though I committed to Ohio State, I still could have 
committed to LSU, decommitted and went to LSU mm-hmm. in that following January. So January of 12. So Coach Herman comes out. He's going to be the new quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. They're letting the coaches prepare for the bowl game. They already probably told him, hey, you guys are going to be fired or whatever that conversation is like. Mm-hmm. And he tells me, like, hey, you know, he tells me a little bit about his background. I have no clue who this guy is. Telling me about some of the things we're going to do on offense and all this other stuff. So I'm a little at ease with that, but still not really. I still don't know this guy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just met this guy. I got to report to college in three weeks. Like, that's no time to really build a relationship. I really want to be there, trust this guy, and things like that. So I walked into the situation where the team just went six and seven. Mm-hmm. And now I got Urban Meyer as my head coach. Mm. And he comes into the meeting room, man. He was, <laughs> you know, a team had just got back from the Gator Bowl, losing to, ironically, the Gators. Mm-hmm. And he just came in there and really flipped out. That was my first experience in mm. college. Mm. I haven't even checked in my dorm yet. Mm. I got my bags. And he's doing room. what? Just losing his shit on everybody? Losing their life. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Like, you guys mm-hmm. are like, you know, I hear about all the issues within this program. You guys got a great head coach fired. Uh-huh. Uh, you guys are soft. You guys don't represent what this program was built upon uh-huh. and blah, blah, blah. Things yeah. are going to change. It's the yeah. first losing season in X amount of years, uh-huh. blah, 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 and all this other stuff yeah. like going crazy. And I'm just looking like, I was kind of enamored to see him because I'm like, this guy just won a championship. He beat Ohio State mm-hmm. before. It's cool. Like, this is my first time seeing someone that's on TV in mm-hmm, person. Mm-hmm. And I'm still really, like, mm-hmm. new to so much. Sure, time. right. And I'm just, like, thinking to myself, this motherfucker is nothing like on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so all that happens. And, you know, a few weeks later, we start our off-season program. And it's just hell week 24-7. Mm-hmm. And, you know, walk into that program of his cleansing period as mm-hmm. Coach Mick, who the head strength guy would, would call it. Mm-hmm. And it did. It weeded out a lot of the mm-hmm. um, bad attitudes mm-hmm. and, and habits of not just players, but players overall. Mm-hmm. And we actually ended up going 12-0 that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, I want to talk more about your experience with Urban, but yeah. you know, we've all kind of seen... How Urban's style might have led to great results on the field, you know, at Ohio Mm -hmm. State. Then, you know, more recently goes to the NFL. That style, you know, wasn't as well received. And the climate in general has changed. Oh, for sure. The the conversation around mental health and how we're treating people and the whole athlete and the whole person, right? A lot is changing in that world. And funny, we were talking before we got started about the fans and uh, how tough of an environment it can be, right? Winning really, people can say they care about the athlete and the whole person, but not at the expense of winning, you know? And so I am kind of curious to hear, you know, your take on Urban, his style, the effectiveness of it and or the parts that really needed to change, you know, maybe if, as a, not just from urban, but just, you know, generationally or societally or something in that world. Yeah. I think when it comes to that, so urban, me and urban really never, especially my time in high school, had a relationship mm-hmm. and people, when I say that people are like, oh, huh? like, you know, I'm just like by design, mm-hmm. it's a reason why every coach under urban for the most part have opportunities to be coordinator somewhere else or head guy somewhere else. And they have success with mm-hmm. his formula. He put that onus, it's 105 guests on the team, 108, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. He put that onus on those personal relationships mm-hmm. on your position coach. Mm-hmm. That's why me and Tom Herman, who was my quarterback coach and coordinator, are so close. Mm-hmm. Because Irvin put that on him to develop those relationships. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think he can have an effective relationship with 108 guys. Right, right, right. And you make know. tough decisions. Exactly. Yeah. So our relationship was never there, but I do thank him and thankful for him the way he ran our program. Mm -hmm. Was it extremely tough? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Was it uncomfortable? A lot of the times, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But one thing no guy can say who played for Urban Meyer, that mm -hmm. he didn't care about you as a person. Mm -hmm. And and if you can say that, you probably had a hard time distinguishing him yelling at you, going off on you mm -hmm. as a player versus a person. Because mm -hmm. I ain't got some of the worst lashings from him. Yeah. You know, when it comes to off the field issues, when it comes to maybe mm -hmm. a performance issue mm -hmm. or just the way I carried myself. But I never doubted he wanted what's best for me outside of football. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why he implemented so many different great programs yeah. within our program of yeah. Real Life Wednesdays, of our job here, of really making sure that guys walking out of there with resumes, guys walking out of there with at least one or two job opportunities mm -hmm. while they're still in college playing football. Mm -hmm. So I never questioned his ability or his caring or his factor of mm -hmm. the overall person. Mm -hmm. He just showed it differently, right? Yeah. You know, and, and guys... But, but even then, you know, again, outsider perspective. And, you know, I've seen this a little just being around, you know, other coaches. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, John Cooper was a family friend. Yeah, and um, I've spent a little time around Ryan Day. And, you know, there is so much pressure to win. Exactly. Some of it is from an internal place, the drive of, of competing and winning at that level, right? That, and a lot of it's coming from everywhere else. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm just wondering, like, you know, when I hear you say how much he cared about you and others outside of football and all the things he did, and I was just wondering if the, the pressure to win ever, you know, gets in the way of that. I think the pressure of personally, I think that would be more of a him question than yeah, anything yeah, else. Yeah. I think the pressure of the success of the team. Uh -huh. always was first. Yeah. Right? It was always bigger than Urban Meyer. It was always bigger than, than, than yeah. Cardell Jones. It was a team, team performance, thing. team things. I think it is a thin line. I think that's where the successful ones really flourish in those moments of, okay, I still have to win games. But I'm still dealing with kids here, 18, 20 yeah. kids. That yeah. I still, some way, somehow, got to prepare them for life. Mm -hmm. If life after ball comes after college or 10, 20 years in the professionally, whatever, I still have an obligation to to prepare these guys for that, to mm. equip them for that. And he always talking about filling your toolbox. Urban, that was his biggest thing, fill your toolbox. If it was your toolbox, if it was to help you perform on Saturdays or your toolbox to help you perform in the real world with other programs, like I said, Real Life Wednesdays, mm -hmm. with the job fairs, mm -hmm. with you know going to bat for us to have certain things around the facility mm -hmm. and making sure we are equipped mm -hmm. enough to be successful. And to my understanding, it was like that with every place he's been. Yeah. You know, I hear, I got buddies that play for him at Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, some of the people, Alex Smith, some of the people who play for him at Utah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with some of the numbers and the the rate of, mm -hmm. you know, things that guys were doing when they was done with playing at the University of Utah as far as the football program, some of the things they were getting engaged in and, and some of the opportunities they did not have mm -hmm. or resources they did not have, the things he did when he got there. Yeah, it's good to know. So, I think that's nice to hear. I, you know, that's why I'm, you know, sincerely curious because um, there's a, a clear track record there, you know, yeah, school exactly. to school of him caring about, you know, certain things and then actually doing. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's talk about, you know, you've got a pretty well publicized uh, experience here in Columbus, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, where you come in. So talk about how that was going for you. What leads up to you, you know, getting that that famous call? 
Yeah. I think, uh, so going into that 2014 season, I think I was so, I think my mind was just so clear mm. on what my career could be. Okay. And that's when I really started to believe that I can do this at a high level. Mm. You know, I think we just had wrapped up bowl practice and, you know, I got a lot of reps in bowl practice when it came to just playing and, and more of a game style atmosphere mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, hey, we practice in this scenario. Mm-hmm. And I really started to be more confident in myself, mm-hmm. starting to get little compliments for the coaches. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to have success off the field as well mm-hmm. in my personal life when it came to academics mm-hmm. or just the way I carried myself. I started to see a change in myself. Mm-hmm. And I just started to mature. Mm-hmm. And so we, Braxton Miller get hurt against Clemson in 2013, going to 2014 season. Mm-hmm. And Kenny Guyton, who was our backup quarterback, he was gone. Mm-hmm. So me and JT Barrett started to, we knew that offseason was competing against each other for the backup role. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't happen at a better time for me where I'm really, I feel like the light clicked on for me mm-hmm. when it came to just playing the game. When I say the game, just literally doing what they tell you for the most part, right? Yeah. So going into the spring, you know, to my understanding, I had won the battle. The, between the, me and JT for being a backup. And, you know, I'm loving it now because, you know, with our style of play of quarterback, you better have two mm-hmm. because just in mm-hmm. case. And up until that point, Braxton did with a few injuries. He'd been knocked out of games and Kenny came in and performed at a high level, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, this can easily be me. And if mm-hmm. it's not me this year, I'm putting myself in good position to start for 2015. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the guy if I'm the backup now, right? That's what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I had two years to be the starting quarterback here. Then I, that's all I can ask for. Mm-hmm. So Braxton gets hurt during Clemson game. We know he's not competing in the spring, so me and JT go get all these reps. So to my understanding, I win the battle. We going into camp now throughout the summer. Had no clue that the battle was back open up. Mm. And then it went from the battle of backup to quarterback, to starting quarterback because Braxton ended up getting hurt in camp and a season and an injury before the season even started. So now it went from the backup position to a quarterback, like our guy. JT ended up winning out the battle, and we go out through the season with some ups and downs all year, all throughout the season. The coach telling me, stay ready, stay ready. The battle was close, stay ready. You know, you 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 know, he just written the spot for the most part to mm-hmm. stay ready. Cool. We go out to play Navy. First half, we're struggling. I think we down 13-7, and I'm just knowing I'm about to get in. Mm-hmm. Whatever, didn't get in, we ended up winning the game. Second game, we come home, plays Virginia Tech, get hammered. Mm-hmm. MC Hammer Town. We mm-hmm. get killed. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, and not necessarily all of us on JT, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking, like, clearly, if you want different success, especially on offense, which you usually do, you usually change the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I'm just knowing I'm about to get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Third game, I think we play Cincinnati. We crush Cincinnati. And I, I get up some mop-up duty. I forgot the fourth game. But mm-hmm. at this point, you know, no one, JT's isn't playing, like, lights out. Yeah. He isn't playing good enough to me personally mm-hmm. to say, like, oh, I shouldn't be playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, a competitive spirit inside of you, no matter what, how well somebody playing in front of you, mm-hmm. you're going to say, I should be playing. I could mm-hmm. do better. So we get to about two more games during the season. I think it was Indiana, where before that week, I talked to Coach Herman. I said, hey, man, I'm thinking about transferring. Mm. I said, because, you know, you guys are telling me I'm doing well all this other stuff, and, you know, I'm not getting no opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, knock on JT. It's like my boy. Mm-hmm. But I'm not getting no opportunities, and, you know, I feel like I can play. Mm-hmm. Like, this ain't me last year not knowing still short, low-key happy to be here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is me knowing I can play at a high level, and you guys see it every day because I'm playing against our defense every day. And he's like, you listen, he set me down and said, listen, man, when you got a quarterback, 
you want him to feel like he's the guy. You don't want to battle or controversy during the season. Mm-hmm. And we had other words and, you know, a great meeting. And I respected it. And I mm-hmm. walked out that meeting. And I said, you know what? I would officially set my role as the backup here. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. And we can deal with all the other stuff later. Let's continue to be there for my teammates and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So, cool. What helped me accept that role, JT comes out and throws for 500 yards and rush for probably 200. That mm. really helped me accept my Yeah, because then you knew. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. It I was going to be a tough argument there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see what they see in him now. So he yeah. goes out. He's killing it. Yeah. Week in and week out up until this point. And, you know, um, as a redshirt freshman, and he got a chance to be in New York, mm-hmm. you know, for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And, you know, do we get to our rivals Michigan game? And uh, I think I want to say third quarter, he breaks his leg. Mm-hmm. You know, JT is not a guy. He just played earlier that season versus Penn State where he pretty much tore his meniscus in the game. Third quarter, no, he tore his meniscus the second quarter, finished the game, and then go, we go to overtime, and he had two rushing touchdowns to really win the game. Mm-hmm. So he's a tough dude. He yeah, he's not guy. coming out. He, yeah. he ain't the type to flop and get down. Mm-hmm. Crowd go, oh, get up. he gets mm-hmm. up and come back next play. No, no, mm-hmm. he's down, he's down. Mm-hmm. So... I'm thinking he just rolled up on or something like that. I'm like, okay, I'll first play. So I'm kind of just throwing the ball around as a medical team go out there for him, the trainers. Then I see the cart. I'm like, oh, shit. So now I'm not throwing the ball harder. Mm-hmm. I'm really trying to get loose. I'm running up and down the mm-hmm, sideline. Mm-hmm. Like, this is serious. Mm-hmm. My very first thought was like, is my guy good? Mm-hmm. Like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Not even like, man, we still in the game. Mm-hmm. We're going back and forth with these guys, right? Mm-hmm. And then we kind of knew what was uh, at stake at that point. I think if Michigan would have won, they would have went to the Big Ten championship game, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. yeah, it was for that. Yeah. So we ended up winning the game. We ended up closing out the game. And I remember first thing in the locker room, I'm knowing that dude just got carted off. Like, mm. he's done. Yeah. But I'm trying to check on him. Okay, but let me ask you something, because I'm curious about this, because obviously I'm a fan and I was there and remember all this. And I've been curious about this. Like, you said your first thought was like, my guy, yeah. right? Because I know you guys are friends, and it's still to this day, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, you know, but then it's like, shit, you know, I, I'm going in. Right? Yeah, oh, exactly. and, it, and it was, a, I remember, it was like a tight game and it was for a lot, right? Oh, and for sure. Stakes were high. And and so I'm I'm wondering like what were you thinking you know what, were you like shit you were scared oh, you're nervous like yeah I was <laughs> I was because you you came out and, and, and not nervous. only won the game and you know the rest is history but like I wondered you know yeah what I was you? nervous that situation yeah everything else I was more anxious I was more excited to get it going yeah I was nervous during that Michigan game like yeah. this is the game yeah we're I think we were down at that point. And I'm like, we got to do something. to, And we still got a lot of football left. We still got over a quarter and a half of significant ball left. Yeah. And I haven't, through a significant pass up until this point in my career, yeah. been in no significant game reps up until this I'm like, I need to figure it out right now. Yeah. And one thing I can give credit for our coaches is that they do an unbelievable job of making sure the backups are ready. Mm. So we will go through times in practice where it's heated moments we have win or loser day pretty much means offense or defense win or lose and if whatever the situation might be it may be third down it may be red zone it may be you know fourth and one whatever mm-hmm. it is and whoever loses that situation they got extra running whatever the mm-hmm, case may mm-hmm. be so he will always like oh coach Mike will always do out of nowhere oh our left tackle got a equipment malfunction put his back up in mm-hmm. and this is doing run and lose the critical points mm-hmm, of practice that we keep tallies of mm-hmm. you know for bragging rights mm-hmm. like serious stuff mm-hmm. so he forces everyone to stay ready into mm-hmm. the game plan mm-hmm. and you know so I knew I was ready mentally to a certain extent but then the physical I'm just like what is about to happen mm-hmm. so 
get in third quarter, we go out and finish the game. My first pass probably goes into C deck. Um, <laughs> so nervous. But, you know, we go out there, finish the game. I think Zeke breaks a big 40, 50 yard run, mm -hmm. and our defense hold him up. And then, um, you know, my first thought back in the locker room, where's JT? Was he good? Mm -hmm. All the characters play, what do you think about this? What do you mm -hmm. think about this? I'm like, where my guy at first? Mm -hmm. And then it sucks in that, okay, I'm the guy now. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy now. Now we got to go out here and play mm -hmm. the Big Ten championship game. Mm -hmm. The Big Ten championship game, you uh, light it up. And we win big. And I'm wondering, at that point, you starting to believe in yourself? Are you starting to really see, I, like, I can I, do it at this level? Well, at that point, I went into that season with that with that confidence. Uh-huh. You had but already then, had the confidence. Yeah, but then here goes back to my second moment of gut check, look myself in the mirror when everybody thinking I was so great. Uh -huh. And I say this, and I'm on record saying this a million times. I didn't play that well those three games. I uh -huh. did not. You know, and what was me was I think I had two of those moments during getting ready for Alabama after we win the game. And I somehow I won the MVP of the Big Ten Championship game. I think it was just a good story. Mm -hmm. I think Zeke should have won MVP. But anyway. I remember you having a good game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a good game, yeah. but that speaks of yeah. the perspective of the fans. Sure. So every game that I played to that point, I didn't even grade out a champion to our standards where we uh -huh. hold ourselves into our facility. Yeah. So I knew personally some of the things I missed on or uh -huh. some of the things that I knew I should have did better on. Yeah. yeah, we had some explosive plays and guys made some great catches, things like that. But I missed so much stuff. And not passes in particular, yeah. but mentally stuff, checks and stuff like uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. So that was a second gut check moment of like, man, uh -huh. don't fall into that trap. Yeah, everybody's telling me how good you is or how good I am. Mm -hmm. Every everybody talking about why is this kid been starting all year. Well, this is if they want to come into the facility, I show you why I want to start all year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, now I start to see some of the things that maybe the coaches saw in me why they just wanted to open up that battle again, mm -hmm. right? With some of the things, you know, sometimes it's so scary. The scariest thing you hear an athlete says, "I got it." Mm -hmm. because that's when they usually will miss something. Mm -hmm. Because you're so complacent, you probably think you did it so many times, I'm perfect at it, right? Mm -hmm. And I give the examples of just, in particular things, like going, checking the line of scrimmage, and maybe forgetting one step of how we go about calling a play or something like that. Mm -hmm. So something so simple, like if I was a coach, if a player said, I got it, it would scare me to death. Mm -hmm. Because now I feel like you're more susceptible to look over the smaller things that really sure. incline in the success of a play or whatever the procedure may be. So... Mm -hmm. That was that second moment, and I was just like, you know, if I really don't gut check this moment and then find out what he's going to play against Alabama, mm -hmm. number one team in the country, number one defense in the country, mm -hmm. like I couldn't afford those mm -hmm. slip-ups. You know, I couldn't afford those mishaps because, you know, this is a team that's going to make you pay. Yeah, so you really looked yourself in the mirror before you got into the playoff mm -hmm. and really tried to do everything you can, prepare. Exactly. Really bring your top game. Exactly. And I felt like I was preparing at a high level mm -hmm. at that point being a backup because I wanted to always stay ready. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you right now, from that moment of that Big Ten Championship game, having that success mm -hmm. and knowing I didn't grade out as a champion and mm -hmm. knowing some of the things I missed out on, I could have, one, for one, I could have had seven touchdown passes. Yeah. Let's yeah. just start there. Yeah. Then two, just the other things that I let compound problems happen. Mm -hmm. And it was small things that, you know, the average fan won't know. I, I made the protection the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You know, I called the run play the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. So that was the scary part for me. It was like, mm -hmm. man, 
even though we played so well, I got all the success personally. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, go look well, it's interesting. There. I think it says a lot about you, really. And, and, and part of the reason why you have been so successful is because you have that humility to continue to look in the mirror and, you know, not believe necessarily the hype and actually decide, you know, to grade yourself and then, you know, choose how you want to learn and grow from that. And, you know, in the interest of time, because we're going to run out of time here soon, I want to kind of, you know, fast forward a little bit. Um, obviously, <laughs> you know, you having that skill of looking in the mirror and, uh, you know, continuing to want to get better pays off. You know, yeah. you, you go on to win the national championship and play in the NFL and, you know, achieve a lot of your goals. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, if you could just say something about that. What did that mean to you to win the national championship, to to go into the NFL? Tell me a little bit about kind of what that meant to you. I, I don't know, you know, how much it means to you or or what, you know, the actual yeah. experience of like of that was for you. Yeah, I think the national championship one was the biggest one mm-hmm. because looking back on my career at that point, I'm looking back of the players I played with, the guys I grew to love mm-hmm. and the guys I grew to know that they – were animals, you know, and mm-hmm. would do anything for anyone in that locker room. I wanted to do it more for them. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, they want nothing. You know, they was robbed of a national championship opportunity our first year, 12-0, because mm-hmm. of the BCS era, we'd have played Notre Dame. Right. Um, you know, they in, in 11, so our freshman year 11, you know, before I reclass in 12, you know, they lost to Michigan. They didn't have an opportunity to play in a Big Ten championship game. Well, it wasn't a Big Ten championship game yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't win a Big Ten, and they lost in a Gator Bowl. Mm-hmm. Twelve, we couldn't play for anything. Mm-hmm. Thirteen, we lost to Michigan State in the mm-hmm. Big Ten championship game, and we lost to Clemson. Mm-hmm. And then in 14, was their fourth year, they mm-hmm. won nothing up until that point. I guarantee you they didn't say, I want to come to Ohio State to win nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? So that whole run and that whole second half of the season, I know I really dedicated myself to them mm-hmm. as far as my preparation and clearly when we played. Um, that was my really driving factor because I knew how much time, effort, and energy they put into a lot of things. And then what really hurt me the worst was in 2010 is when everything happened with Ohio State with the tattoos, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But they didn't get, you know, that team, yeah, they got bowl games taken away, but they still had the abilities to compete for those things at a high level. Yeah. And then my class of guys was the ones punished. Yeah, right. You know, so it was definitely clearly wasn't fair to those guys. Right. And um, wanting to send those guys out the right way, mm-hmm. I think, was the most important thing that um, I felt personally. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's why I think the aspect of being able be a part of national championship team was kind of more important to me than having an opportunity to be in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, I'm just imagining you'll have your entire life mm-hmm. and, and will actually um, go on uh, long after, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're a fan and there are, you know, so many fans, crazy fans, for better or worse, of, of Ohio State athletics, football in particular, you know, I mean, I hear stories of, you know, grandparents and people that never missed a game and yeah. they're talking about, you know, the 68 team and yeah. we went to this and that. Yeah. And people will talk about what you accomplished and, and as a team 
and you in particular forever, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, I'm just telling you that like, I think that's something, you know, you, you don't strike me as the kind of person who's going to like rest on that or like, you know, make that your entire identity. I know yeah. you're up to stuff still and you want to fulfill upon the next thing and you will probably do that forever. Yeah. It's part of why you were able to be so successful um, with that team and, and with your career. But, you know, it, it's something that I hope you can take some pride in that you accomplished and nobody can ever take away from you. I'm starting to do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, people ask me about the rings and I said, like, I don't even know what they look like. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care for the, My favorite piece of memorabilia is actually the gold pants from 14 because mm-hmm. it's the only Michigan game I ever played in. Mm. And um, out of <laughs> all of that, though, you know, this past year, getting ready for the Wisconsin game, you know, we had the tailgate. And uh, I was able to bring my son. He was there for the weekend with me. Um, not just to the game, but to the Woody mm-hmm. facility. And mm-hmm. now I'm showing him like, mm-hmm. where all the things that I'm hanging up on. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, and seeing him, <laughs> like, oh my God, it's cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's at a point now of like, yeah. kids are talking about hostage in school. And he's like, yeah, my dad. Like, yeah, right yeah, there. yeah. Kids are like, no way. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So now, well, that's like, cool. Yeah. This is the coolest part now because yeah. that's, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, we won. Yeah. It was good. We were supposed to win. Yeah. But now I think it's more so the legacy building, not just for the fans behind, but, you know, my, my kids i think it's the coolest part i'm like i never been so excited to go to the woody mm-hmm. than that day yeah i bet, take I, bet. I, ne- I bet like yeah. i've never <laughs> been so excited to get to the woody yeah. than that day to show him around the facility yeah. and take it i'm like no no don't, don't, don't look at that wall come, come, yeah. come, 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 come. Like, who, who is that who you think uh-huh, that was? Uh-huh, like uh-huh. that was me the whole time yeah. i'm like hey let's go back and he's uh, like he's asking about jackson cj i'm like no but look, look at me like i'm on a wall <laughs> So, oh, that's great. So, that's great. Yeah, Good for but, you. That that is a proud moment. Yeah. You know that that's a great way to look at it and be able to celebrate it. Oh, for sure. All right. So let, sure. let's just talk as we wrap up here about where you're at today. What you're up yeah. to today. I mean, I know you're doing a lot, and I'm excited to learn about the book. And yeah. um, uh, I know you do some TV stuff here and there, but you know the foundation and the agency work and anything else that's kind of on the on the uh, horizon for you. I'm kind of curious just to hear you talk a little bit about how you're thinking about, you know, work and life today. I think everything, I look at all the things I get into with life pretty much almost after football. And I'm saying almost because I did recently sign a contract to play indoor football league Mm -hmm. to see where those opportunities lead to. Mm -hmm. So life kind of almost after football, everything I'm doing is almost as a servant role. Mm-hmm. As a helping role, as mm-hmm. a how can I help you role, mm-hmm. and in the NIL world, clearly me and Brian started the foundation to help you know Ohio State student athletes capitalize on their name, image, and likeness when it comes to the football and basketball program, mm-hmm. and it's so fulfilling to be able to directly influence, directly have relationships, directly give advice Mm -hmm. to these people, to these young men that was in my shoes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, selfishly, it makes me think of like, man, not necessarily what if NIL was around when I was in school because of the financial gain, Mm -hmm. but the relationships Mm. and the opportunities to learn Mm. and having someone that I can legit have in my back pocket to call or text about, like just how to navigate through things, you know? Because mm-hmm. that was another thing, and that's another thing I actually struggle with. I revert back to being a kid. I didn't know how to ask mom or, you know, for help. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't know how to vocal like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Yeah. But knowing someone been in your situation or mm-hmm. going through it and can really help you with guidance from experience. It's one thing as a person or a coach or as a as a person of power or influence that 
Well, you, I'm giving you advice off something I read in a book. Mm-hmm. I think the best advice is experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. giving, you know, if sure. I had someone... Who's that, walked the walk, who's been in your exactly. shoes, who really understands you. Exactly. Yeah, that's now, that's pretty uh, valuable. Yeah, if I yeah. had someone that was giving me advice that I that me and Brian and Corey and mm-hmm. some of the guys with the foundation give mm-hmm. to these young student athletes now mm-hmm. with no ultimatum, mm-hmm. like... I don't. I don't work for you guys. We don't. We don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't. We do like so. Everything yeah. is unbiased, and mm-hmm. everything is on. Like okay, I give advice by saying, you know, if I was in your shoes, this is what I would do now. But you still got to make your own decisions. Mm-hmm. So uh, having something, mm-hmm. an entity, a person in that type of role that I have access to, I think would have did wonders for my career and my life. And who was to say, you know, things would have turned out differently. Yeah. You know, it's a really important point. I believe, you know, we talked about kind of using your life to um, to inform yourself and then serve other people. And there's a lot has been written about this. There was a book that I read not that long ago where they really talked about um, getting to the second half of your life yeah. and where you know, the skills that this was a kind of book heavily based in research where they talk about kind of the, um, and and it's not, it's not about sports, but it applies here too. But in business, they say that you have these, like this, like energy or this amount of uh, skill that you can put into a a very finite part of your life. And it's, and it's usually over sometime by your mid thirties for sure by the age of 50. And and this is just based in their research. Mm-hmm. And they'll say people argue it all the time, but you know, the facts really show that by a certain point in your life, that skill set, that period of time, that energy that you have is really used up. And that the it doesn't mean you're done. Right. It just means you've got to shift. And and usually it's more into like wisdom. Yeah. Right. And how do you use all this knowledge that yeah. you have and learned and experienced to then apply it to something else? And, exactly. you know, um, people will sometimes talk about NIL and say, you know, these kids don't know how to handle money and it's too much too fast and, you know, they're going to blow it or whatever. Right. And um, I hate hearing that because that could be true for anybody at any stage in life. Yeah. I mean, you have people that inherit money, never had to work a day in their life, blow it. Might have been around people with money and still blow it, right? Exactly. It, it, but what might uh, prevent that is somebody who has some experience who they can relate to and trust, yeah. you know? And I obviously am, you know, relatively close to all this being close to Brian and Corey and you yeah. and seeing, you know, what you guys are doing. And it really is servant leadership. Yeah. I mean, with oftentimes, you know, getting uh, none of the credit and all the blame. Exactly. And, and, exactly. Um, and I think what people don't realize is just how much you um, and Brian and Corey are really actually in this for the right reasons. And those being to really help and serve the kids. Yeah. Yeah, and and a great thing about that is, for the most part, we we don't care that some a uh, very small portion of the people who want to add their two cent negative or positive maybe don't like the way some things are said or done or or, or want to you know do whatever right. But because we're not doing it for look what we're doing, you know. Yeah. Because like I said before, it's like we, we don't take a dollar from this thing. Yeah. Like we spend we spend over north of you know 
30, 40 hours a week on if it's phone call, if it's event planning, if it's mm -hmm. fundraising, if whatever. And it's all for a benefit that don't benefit us. Yeah. So it's really out of the passion that we have for not just helping, not just the Buckeyes, but service. Yeah. And you, you used a great point of, of service leadership. And then, you know, who's to say that don't inspire someone else to do something similar or right. someone in those roles of like, you know, it's, all, it's not always about the accolades, not always about the financial gain, it's not always about the financial opportunities, but these are things that we feel like we can help yeah. in, in a, in a field that we feel like we can help um, make a significant change in a lot of people's lives. And so we are going to do it. Yeah. And you're also doing it with the the nonprofit aspect, yeah. right? Yeah. Where not just the foundation is a nonprofit, but the organizations that are involved yeah, our charitable that partners. are getting the benefit of this uh, structure. And not only that, but then, you know, what I think is really great is that the kids, you know, we talked a bunch about humility. You know, students who are getting the money because of the structure you guys have created are now um, obligated and they willingly are signing up for this because they want to, yeah. to go volunteer in the community. Yeah. And so then they're around some of the kids that, you know, you were helping voluntarily as a kid and they're learning, they're getting perspective. Yeah. You know, there, there's hopefully some humility in there that like, hey, I have a great opportunity. I'm blessed with, you know, health. And exactly. maybe I ought to like really appreciate that. And that piece I think is really lost in the winning and losing, yeah. you know? And you, like you said, it's a small group of the of the population but i just give you a lot of credit and what i love about kind of listening to these full stories and learning things about you that i didn't know is the dots always get connected yeah and i kind of want to come back to this part that you talked about about uh finding who you were and realizing that you were somebody that was caring yeah right and you were somebody that wanted to help other people and you realize that at a young age, yeah. before you realize that you were a good football player, yeah. you know, and now that's where you're coming back to, right. you know, you're still playing football, but you're also really clear that that's who you are and that's what you want to do with your time and energy. And I think that's really awesome that, you know, you've been able to come full circle just back to who you really are. Yeah, exactly. And definitely with everything I look to see that I'm doing it outside of just the entrepreneurial world of just, you know, venturing out different business aspects. It's, it's all about service. If it's with our athletes with 10 talents, you know, how we help them through different things and provide different opportunities for them. Um, that's, you know, not in our contract, yeah. you know, if it's through the foundation and it's through just my personal life of mm -hmm. getting involved with, you know, and the great thing about this in a place like Ohio State, yeah, they recruit guys from all around the country. They have some great guys that's in that locker room. You know, I look at a guy like Paris Johnson this mm -hmm. past year who just declared for the drive, who walked into college with a nonprofit already. Mm. That was already started. That he started when he was six years old. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So things like that is pretty cool because I think you know these have also opened up other opportunities to meet other people who um, share some of the same goals and visions that I have when it comes to just helping and supporting and giving back. It's mm. great. Well, thanks for taking some time to do this. I uh, know it's always uh, nice to spend some time with you, and you know I've been able to do that, you know, uh, through family and 
you know, we haven't spent time getting this kind of deep, but you know, every time I'm around you, you know, you got such a good way about you. You know, I, I really give it. you a lot of credit. You've got a, a, a big smile, big heart, you know, a, a very caring personality that's yeah. fun to be around. And it's good to to call you a friend and spend some time doing this with you today. Likewise, I appreciate it. And yeah. one thing that I never had a chance to tell you that I kind of tell people, not just about you, but your family, outside of knowing Brian and Corey for mm-hmm two years to that point when I spent New Year's Eve down there with you guys and, mm-hmm. you know, we um, went out to dinner and, and you, I feel like you went out your way to make sure that I was comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, an environment that we were in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he didn't have to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. so I definitely appreciate not just you, but your family as always and mm-hmm. glad I'm finally able to get on a yeah. podcast with you, man, yeah. and talk yeah. it up a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, some of the things you shared, I had no clue about you, so yeah, definitely cool. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. When you, uh, when that book drops, we'll We'll have you come back oh, on and sure. we'll do for a little sure. more. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Sweet. Cardell. It's a wrap. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.